1: happy new year gamers it's it's not the new year no almost soon and you're listening to waypoint radio one of our Game of the Year podcasts, <laughs> episode 450. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and today I'm joined by Patrick Klepik. We're going to hit 500 next year. Ah. Like, sooner rather
0: than later? Would that be in what? Uh guess we do a cadence of two a week, Two, four, six, eight. It's less impressive when you consider how much we pod, for sure. 25 know, weeks. But Twenty-five weeks, so around the around the one-year anniversary of Waypoint Plus, close-ish.
1: Perfect.
2: Wow. We should start planning something for that.
1: By the <laughs> way, speaking of Waypoint Plus, Patrick, is there anything the gamers should know? Oh, the gamers—they
0: should know that. Hey, everyone, we're running a sale on subscriptions to Waypoint Plus, so you get 25% off an annual subscription through the end of the year. So I move this microphone around so I can read the rest of this text on the Slack to the side of my <laughs> eyes with the coupon code WAYLASTMINUTE. That's the coupon code WAYLASTMINUTE. If you're looking for a last-minute gift, give the gift of Waypoint. You can choose a date for your subscription to be delivered to the recipient. You don't have to ruin the surprise. Or you can just buy one for yourself. Visit vice.com slash to order that's where the you know white point plus it unlocks these wonderful streams like these inscription streams for everyone um you get access to manhunting you get us uh culturally revisiting the matrix the matrix reloaded matrix revolutions and then eventually the matrix resurrections i <laughs> no one responded to my message last night with the like one review that is sneaked out about um the new Matrix movie. I think it is from uh, this DM that I have with all of you. Oh, where did I put it? Oh, no, it's the one with Gita. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I missed this. I'm. Uh, <laughs> this was uh, Jacob Knight. Uh, the Matrix uh, resurrection screened for some press, like, as we're recording this, like, uh, not uh, fairly recently. Why weren't
2: we invited?
0: I know. Well, I just keep reading. <laughs> There's a... There's a FYC for your consideration like award season app for Warner Brothers and uh, that's like less necessary this year because all of their movies went straight to HBO Max day and date. But I I have to assume maybe Matrix might go there a little bit sooner than HBO Max Mm -hmm. because there's just a big coming soon thing in the app. (laughs) We get access to that stuff because of the Writers Guild is our union. So they're like Hollywood things we can vote in that I will never vote in because that seems – not like something my vote should count, <laughs>
1: but
2: I do
0: get <laughs> occasional early access. You have opinions to movies. about movies. I will just do
1: it despite David Simon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm in your union, voting uh, <laughs> on your scripts.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, the, the, uh, this uh, tweet from uh, Jacob Knight at Jacob uh, Q Knight: "Is Resurrections is the new nightmare of Matrix movies, a metamere for a culture that a demand slash dissect an IP driven reboot cool." I like that term. To a revolutionary sci-fi cinema. Appropriately gorgeous, messy, corny, romantic, and contains at least three chill-inducing moments. Fucking loved it. You say new nightmare in comparison to the new Matrix movie, and ah, (laughs) I'm sold. So if you want to hear all of our opinions leading up to that, uh, go sign up for Waypoint Plus uh, right now. Um, But like I said, Waypoint Plus unlocked inscription streams. A a game, Um, Rob, uh, did you play on your account? Could you please pull up the hour count on inscription for me <laughs> Akato, could you do this as well? yeah, let's all marry ins inscription inscription miss oh. and okay. a happy
2: inscript year um okay all right uh
0: i i'm gonna i have Kato go first i'm guessing he's the lowest hour count Kato, how, how many hours they? did you play? Inscription.
2: Why the fuck doesn't this show for me? No, no. Is it because Steam, a- right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it because I'm on a different computer? Where the fuck is my hour count? You might be able to pull
0: that up if it, if it is t- like if like the actual like install game. I wonder if you go to view my profile.
2: Yeah, just like look um, on that end.
0: Recent activity, the all recently played.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hour count, hour count, hour count. Okay. Fourteen point seven hours. Okay. I was right. Now I
0: have to scroll back in Steam. Sixteen point two hours.
1: Rob. Thirty-two point six <laughs> glorious hours.
2: <Woo>! Alright. <laughs> Uh, oh amazing. So amazing.
0: Well, I I I would like to, I would like to start there. Um uh I don't for the maybe maybe people didn't watch the streams. Maybe um I don't know. Talk talk about streaming inscription, talk about playing yeah. it at the way that, that you announced it <laughs> people have heard You can
2: catch those VODs at youtube.com dot slash You can. You
0: can. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go ahead and just caveat. This is this is a game of the year. Uh, a pod. We're gonna, this is the mailbag one. We had originally intended to have Natalie on for both. The first one felt through. It for is scheduling. possible
1: making her stream for ten hours yesterday <laughs> was not conducive to our plan coming to fruition. If I'm being honest,
0: yes, uh, very possible. She's got a full time job in addition to coming on and, and yapping with us, and we we'd moved inscription talk from our. Game of the Year categories discussion to this in the hopes that Natalie would be able to join us. She's unable to. You will get Natalie's thoughts on Inscription at a later date. We will we'll have something there. But I just wanted to caveat there, like, because we did mention in the last podcast that Natalie will be there. <laughs> she is. <laughs> oh, she is not. For, not. Yeah. For, for folks that didn't catch the the, the very long uh, streams been going on for, like, I don't know, the past six weeks or so with the two of you, ta- talk us through that experience and what it has been like playing in Inscription.
1: Okay, so I think we went in very unspoiled, first of all. So I think a big part of if you watch me and Natalie playing Inscription, you're going to see us sort of coming to grips with, well, what is this game we are playing? What are its objectives? And at first. And, and I want to just it.
0: caveat that, like, when Kato convinced me to play this after he was so effusive, mm-hmm. and then I was like, ah, shit. I then came out of that experience and told Rob, was like, I think the two of you need to to stream this. I think you need to stream it together because I thought specifically two people going through the experience yeah. would be extremely fun to watch.
1: <laughs> and we should be clear. Spoilers are on for this conversation, right? Yes, like yes, if, yes. Yeah. Like there's a reason we're having this conversation now rather than like. I of will put
0: in a, a, a timestamp if yep. you want to yeah. skip this and go straight to the to the mailbag stuff.
1: Uh, so, Natalie and I started playing, and at first we were like, this is a very cool roguelike deck builder, and it has some, uh, put like um, escape room elements to it, but fundamentally, this is a roguelike deck builder, and we are treating it as such, and it starts as sort of a Tactical Tuesday stream. Like, it is Natalie and I discussing and hemming and hawing over, um like, each move in the initial card game in Inscription, uh, which is driven by, like, sacrificing squirrels, and it's all got, like, this uh, haunted woodland uh, theme to it. Now, the the thing I'll also say is, I don't think... We played slowly, but also, like, the way to make this shit engaging is for the two people to discuss moves. Mm -hmm. Uh, The minute it turns into one person like mostly just playing and making all the decisions and the other person like not playing, then it's kind of a one-sided thing. The like, and also now the process of like approaching the game becomes a black box. Uh, So like part of it is we are going to analyze moves and also try to come to terms with like, what is it we're supposed to be doing? And we're in a very uh, exploratory mindset. We're going to come to grips with the card game of inscription. Which I cracked is, up when I when I joined the stream briefly on the last one,
0: and I only came on for for five minutes or so. And multiple people in the chat observed that it was in that moment where I was talking to you and Natalie was continuing to play, and it was as though someone like turned up the speed dial on Natalie because <laughs> she started doing what you're talking about, which is she just started playing the game and just like going through like the motions of like. Whatever, you know, element of combat or exploration is like she's accomplished more in these five minutes than they normally accomplish in the in the span of an hour because <laughs> she was just doing that. Just like just playing as opposed to what you do on a stream to make it more entertaining and interesting is like talk about what the the mental process is as you
1: as you as you go along. But I think the other part of this is for a good while there. We're like, OK, so this is this is a roguelike deck builder with an escape room sort of like built around it. And there's going to be a cool narrative behind that. But like fundamentally the card game is inscription. That is the heart of this game. And it is a slow rolling revelation. that This is not in fact the case that like, it did not take as long to beat uh, the last stage of the initial card game and we were just sort of looped back to the start. And so now it's like, okay, the game is not the key. And so we just have this, like, rolling sense of, okay, so the game is not the game, right? The game is not what we think it is. And I think one of my favorite moments came when um, we, like, we eventually forced ourselves to die uh, on a run because we we reached the conclusion that like we're just trying to do different things, different combinations we hadn't done before. Uh, so we killed ourselves at a certain, we let ourselves be defeated at a certain point in one of the runs uh, that sort of unlocked one of the game's key twists uh, where you are able to complete the, the first act of inscription and escape this cabin you've been locked in. And when you do that, uh, you are confronted with, a series of like work in progress video clips uh, from a uh, YouTuber uh, or YouTube equivalent uh, person called the lucky Carter. And the thing I loved about this moment is at the very start of the game (laughs) before the credits even roll, you hear someone say, okay, let's see what's on this thing. And I had never known why Kato was adamant. He was like, you need to make sure that the launch sequence is part of the stream. And I was like, okay, I think you're being a little bit fussy, but whatever. Uh, fine. I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I ever picked up on that.
0: I, I don't think I, I probably frequently when I launch games on Steam, I'm like, I'm hitting play. I'm going to get water. Like I'm letting the intro credits do their thing because most of them are unskippable. So I remember you mentioning that previously. I think like off off podcasts, and I was like, yeah, I, I never. I never, maybe I, like, maybe it happened, does it happen when you launch it a second time, or is it only the first time?
2: It happens you- have to
1: reset all your save data, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which I I I had
2: Rob reset the save data and start it over on stream so that you can get that out, because I, I'm normally, like, if I'm sitting down to do it, I'm just like, I'm gonna watch whatever's there, it's probably instructive or possibly part of the game. Like, in this moment, it was like, oh- it, it was immediate. I was like, oh, wait, what the fuck does that mean? What is that? Like, that's not what I was expecting from the trailers, even of what this game is, because it shows <laughs> a, a load, it shows a loading screen. The screen yeah. gets slightly like, um, like it gets scan lines. And I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Like, are we, we're already, I already felt there's like a meta metalator here that I didn't know about.
0: I'm almost glad I didn't see that because the surprise that there even is a meta layer rather than the insinuation or the hint that there could be one not that it would have undercut what the game, you know, ultimately accomplishes, but I by missing that like the turn that Rob is describing where the video clips happen, it, it is not even seated in my mind right. that the game could be anything other than a a roguelike deck builder whose uh twist is that hey We've thrown out like balance, like have fun, like broke it, like you did it. Like that's the game. And then, you know, from there it's like, oh, naturally how this would escalate is they'll come up with a reason to send me back with a new set of rules to break or they'll take away. You know what I mean? Like most games, like, ah, you've put, I now understand the ladder that I'm going to climb for the next, you know, however many hours. And I, it was, it never even occurred to me that when I get to that, that UI where I can click on video clips that there was even a possibility that this could be anything other than that. Again, it still works, but it's, I think it's interesting that we all, we kind
1: of came at it at different, different ways. I think we got some extra hints that this was the case because we'd gone so deep at certain points that um, like the first time we beat the, the final uh encounter of the, the first, the first acts run. um, We once again heard that guy's voice uh, sort of being like, holy shit, I won, I won. Um. Before we sort of kicked back to the start of the loop, right. and so like we'd seen these things that were like, okay, there's clearly some sort of meta layer here happening, where like someone else's experience is part of this, and this is either like um, unclear. Are we playing the part of this unseen like narrator? Are we? Is this found footage coming after? So the next stage is yeah, it's it's found footage time. Um, with with this character, the Lucky Carter, coming across. An antique, like collectible card game inscription, and starting to like do some uh, like un- unwrappings uh, for his stream for his stream, and once we saw that, like it was now clear the game was doing something completely different, and I think our, our, our approach did change, especially because after that moment, the second act I think is a much looser card game in a lot of ways, uh, and so it just doesn't require or reward um like careful play as much as the the first act did uh but it still I think took us a while to come to grips with okay what is this game actually about uh what is what is the story of inscription and act two gives you a lot more insight um and then act three which like Natalie and I played through last night. It took us about like eight hours to go through it um has some like truly shocking and like uh you know yeah just uh like it's <laughs> just hair blown back uh type uh type plot twists um from 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 the last stage and i, I think what the thing we were unprepared for is that there are horror elements from the start of inscription the type of horror that the game ultimately turns into is very different from what it, from where it begins yeah yeah you get you get the impression that like you you're stuck in a
0: serial killer's you know den who's going <laughs> to carve up, carve your skin off uh unless you keep playing this card game and and yes like the ultimate story of inscription is horrifying on its own but goes just in directions you could not fathom even even, even once the game expands like what it could be or even yeah. be about and I think that's like a huge credit to the storytelling itself is that even uh, when you have the turn in act two we're like we're changing the aesthetic and like what are we exploring here like you're like oh yeah you know, at every turn what the game manages to do is like oh okay I see what the next layer of this onion is like and, and that- now I have a sense of like where it'll go from here but and do the you- game You don't and like it's <laughs> And it does that over and over again, you know, I mean, obviously with like three major aesthetic and like mechanical changes in terms of like the card game. But like the storytelling onion itself is exceptionally well done and surprising and shocking. And, you know, I I had you guys on I wasn't listening to a bunch of the stream, but I had it running on the iPad next to me while I was (laughs) watching the Amazing uh, Spider-Man, which I probably should have watched the stream instead of watching <laughs> that movie, um, so I could see the reactions. It was like I want to see the moments that that they're having, like when I had them privately, and I'm like messaging Kato, like as <laughs> yeah. it's like happening. Um, um, seeing seeing the two of you go through those uh, moments and experience them, like you know, in front of a, an audience was was awesome because it, 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 it's 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 weird to do that. Uh, privately and then watch someone do it publicly but like it was I don't know it's just such an immaculate experience like it's it's top to bottom just really slick and interesting and surprising and just so 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 weird so weird
2: I think the the way that the 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 kind of like you were saying the story onions get Mm -hmm. paired with mechanical changes as well is so deftly done where like without one or the other it might have gotten a little stale faster, but it, like it, it's engaging you on both ends of like, Oh, there's new things to kind of fuck with, but also I'm in a new headspace about what this space even means. Right. I'm in i I'm in a new area of like thinking of like, what is the, the narrative as well as what are the new card things that I can fuck around with. Um, and it's just like where the story ends up going, I think impacted me more than I thought even the game that I was enjoying up until that point, would impact me, right? Like, this, um, uh, finale that, like, it's it's interesting. It feels like there's almost three narratives here happening. There's a, the meta layer, which is interesting and can, like, um you know, tie into what is happening well, to there's two the metal layers,
1: Unfortunately.
2: Huh? Yeah. There's two it's, metal
0: layers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah,
2: This is the thing. It's I like, feel
0: like, we have to set the ARG to the. That might be like, maybe that's where there's four metal layers happening.
2: Yeah, actually. I feel, like,
0: I feel like, I feel like probably where this, this, this all goes at like how we bring Natalie back into the fold to have that next subscription podcast is like, I think we need to have a separate podcast where we talk about like the, the ARG.
2: RG. Yeah, absolutely. And then like, oh, and like, <laughs> Fucking! They made more game. Did you see this shit, Patrick? No. Oh, I saw. I saw a link to a mod. That's not a is mod. That what you're talking about? That's official. That is oh. by the creator. It is an quote unquote endless mode of the first part of the game that okay. will include more. That includes story. more story. <laughs> like we, mm. it is oh, tied shit. directly to Casey and her whole thing. Um, so. And this, but
0: yeah, apply different skulls to your run to ascend the challenge levels. Let's (laughs) go. Let's go. Let's go. Yep.
2: It's like, it's fucked up. Cause it's like, it's first, it's like commenting on the, like the genre of deck, deck, like, uh, deck, like roguelike deck builders. It's commenting on card games as a whole, as a, as an entire like industry. It's commenting on, and then has a story to tell about creation, about game dev, and about letting go or finishing a piece of work and understanding when it's time to be done or when something you just have to it doesn't matter you yeah, you spend a lot of time on that fucking on that piece, but sometimes you just gotta kill it it's not gonna it's not gonna be the thing you want to release into the world, right like this is the, the this game hit on so many different levels at the end there, where it's like even though like yes, there is a meta meta layer about oh, but the code in here is like some evil, dark occult shit. But still, the things that it shows you in the game also very directly to me tied into the idea of, you know, being a creative, the different modes you are in the creative process of, like, tinkering with things on a technical level, on expression of emotion, on what you, like, how you self-edit like, all of that is, like, not what I was expecting an inscription to end up at, but it does it, and, like, it hit, like, it hit so hard of, like, oh, like, we're saying goodbye to these characters, but it's not just these characters, it's the idea of the dev saying goodbye to this game, right, like, the game is out, it ends, and all of the, and this is another thing, like, it ties back in, all of the videos are dated to the days before the game launches, Right. And ultimately mm. they make the game launch a sinister thing because of implications of like who is forcing the game to launch and to go out into the world. But like it still hits with that idea of like the creative process, right? Um and I just it like blew that ending just blew me away.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think the the ways it carries off the conflicts it's sort of showing off and the way it brings those to life so when you're when you're alluding to the fact that like this is sort of commenting on the creative process and in particular creative disagreement and creative strife yeah. and what you see as you go through the game are different leads visions of what inscription should be yeah um and they have different aesthetics different play styles um you can like it is like it is an ugly creative fight, and by the end, they all have pretty good ideas for like what a good game would be, but they're all incompatible and yet somehow they must work they 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 were made to work together until the 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 creative differences became so toxic uh that like they create this eldritch horror of a game yeah <laughs> and like literally different characters are basically have their work like siloed off and entombed uh within within the work because of ostensibly one character's vision um i think the other thing that really caught me off guard is um so when they introduced the lucky carter in some ways like he's a pretty uh yeah, gormless type figure uh just there's there's not much to him he's a pretty typical like uh stand in for just a a, a very typical uh youtuber where he's got he's got a doing, got a question how yeah. many how many subscribers does this guy have
2: we find out at a certain point don't oh, we you?
0: do about we about how many Kato? uh
2: well hold at least on that some, hold on hold on yeah
0: hold on then let Rob and I guess, Robin, I guess yeah. if you have an answer cuz i don't think it's that many i think i would maybe.
2: guess
1: he's like 2000
0: yeah, I was I was thinking like under five k. Like he's he's out here hustling, um, pretty pretty hard.
2: So this is early earlier on, but we do hear a number about uh, if we assume this is coming out twenty twenty one and all mm-hmm. the things. So like ten years prior, and he's still doing this. He's he hit a hundred at in two thousand nine, right? Oh, he might be doing okay. He might be doing yeah. okay. Like, yeah. once you, I've I've heard my
0: understanding. This is years since I've like researched the data, but like, once you start hitting like a hundred thousand, like, you're not there on a glide path, but like, you're you're getting into the algorithm yeah. where you're going to start organically picking up subs to a certain degree. And so, if he was doing that, you know, a it, 10 yeah, plus like, year, like, like, wouldn't two, be shocked
2: if it was 2009. Yeah. It was two, um, it was one of the like little lore bits right near the end where like, you, he, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I hit a hundred. This is great. I started this channel just to kind of oh, distract well, he's myself. He's probably two
0: fifty five hundred easy would be my yeah be my guess of where he's at. Well, like now. and
2: like he's hmm. going out right. and purchase making purchases in a way where it's like he I forget there's a, there was a number drop of like I spent a lot of money on X Y Z mm. number of packs like that feels like you're in the in the in the loop of making the videos that make enough money to buy more stuff to make the videos to make more money to buy more stuff
1: um but the thing that caught me off guard here is that we were sort of dragging him he seemed like such a corny like just generic uh like youtuber who somehow made it their business uh to just yeah unwrap cards and show what they got in their packs and that's and that's his whole shtick and the thing that i found surprisingly effective and you learn this in the in the last act is that yeah this isn't who this guy is not really um the lucky card is a persona it's a performance uh and it more than that is a performance he adopted in part because he was at loose ends dealing with the grief following the death of his sister um and that was i don't know it was surprisingly i think hard hitting just in terms of the way like it, it does sort of highlight the you have no idea what is behind a performance you really you you yeah. really do not um and the realization that like genuinely except maybe in a few moments where you see him like really scared in these videos you don't know who this guy is um and so in 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 retrospect the story ends up being a guy who's dealing with a lot of grief and isolation following a major loss in his family uh falls into this hobby and it becomes a like a business but also a bit of a way of life uh until one day it brings him into contact with Something extremely unlucky, right? Like something basically cursed. But the the, the central thing is he can't let it go. Like he encounters this weird mystery and he starts like he's almost helpless to not start unpacking it and trying to figure out where did this game inscription come from? Uh, What is the story behind it? And it turns out to be connected to uh, another another family's uh, loss that the, it turns out the person he bought the pack from, uh, like lost a child and the, the, that her daughter was one of the developers on this game. And the implication certainly is that they were, in fact, murdered uh, as part of the fallout around the like toxic development of whatever the hell inscription was. Uh, and here's this character, Luke, who just stumbles into the middle of it. And blows past all the red flags waving to say, like, leave this thing alone. Um, And just can't quite help himself getting to the bottom of it and trying to figure out what happened to these people. Um, And ultimately, that proves to be like his tragedy, right? Is that uh, he because he like this is both satisfying curiosity and maybe also answering some like. Unmet need uh, that sort of led him to this moment in his in his career, in his life. Uh, he's he ultimately at the end is going to be killed for it. Um, and uh, like what he serves is as the, the conduit for this cursed secret to make its way out into the world. Um, I don't know that that part like. Was also was surprisingly affecting for me because it was like. I just felt so sad for this like harmless sad dude uh, who gets murked yeah um, for reasons that I still don't like I don't really understand to a degree like the game itself is like trying to claw its way out into the wider world Uh, but also there's like an X-Files conspiracy type thing happening in the background Mm -hmm. like inscriptions Mm -hmm. got shooters out here
2: yeah oh well We'll talk about the arg in a different podcast, but
1: yeah, I mean, but
0: but I, you know, I, I'm the fact that like it exists. Rob, is I'm anxious to. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. I'm like mixed on that stuff, right? Uh, I'm. I guess on in some level, I'm glad it exists. On another, I guess the fact that it's at, that inscription is satisfying all on its own, and requ- I think yeah. requires no external additional world billing or storytelling or understandings of references to. Like the hacks or Pony Island, like the other works by the same same creator, in which like I've read like only cursory that like there are implications that there are like lore tie ins between these different games and like a broader universe that might tie them all together. Like ultimately, I think one of the highest compliments you can give to the game is that you you can stop there. The ending is shocking and gets your mind racing. Um, and I'd be happy to do a podcast where we talk about some of the theories and what people have found, but ultimately, like what's I think incredible about inscription as a, a project as an experience is the way it weaves its storytelling and mechanics together in a singular video game, right? Like i like storytelling. In a video, it's like one of the other games this year I really liked was guardians of the galaxy. I think it has immaculate writing top to bottom. Nothing about it is, is intrinsic to like the storytelling of a video game. Really? Um, uh, yes. It's like deployed as I play this video game, but nothing it nothing in there that could just be a tv show that could right. be like a, a marvel films a tv show and adapted this script into a 10 episode thing and it would also fucking rule and it would be funny and heartfelt um inscription like th- exists at a, as a video game is benefited by being a video game it is in ca- and as much as like args and other things are like cool storytelling devices I, I, it was so satisfying that all that took place here feels like it could only take place here. Yes. And that's part of what makes me so interested to go back and play the other stuff. I guess especially the hex. People keep saying, like, if this really vibed with you and you're going to pick one other one to go play, the hex seems to be the one that I've heard recommended over and over um, on, uh, to check out. But um, I don't know. The fact that it was all made by one person. Is the Lucky Carter at the creator? Is that him no. as well? No? Okay. That's an actor. Okay. Um, I would have, that wouldn't have surprised me. Right. Like, no, Given yeah. everything else this person is doing, if they're also just filming their own bits. Well, the whole uh, thing
1: feels like it might just be a completely solo thing. In fact, like when we saw the credits, uh, like there's credits for all the assets that are used during the game. And so there's also a realization. I don't know if any of those assets were commissioned purposefully for the game or whether this was just found. Uh, Kata, do you know?
2: No, I'm not 100%, but like some of those links are storefronts where like those yeah. things are... Sold like all pre-made, like so it's just about picking and choosing the ones that you uh think fit your aesthetic and what you're going for. So it, yeah. m- it might be a mix, but not not 100 percent sure.
1: Um but it was that was a cool touch as well. But yeah, the um I will just say nothing in the ARG document I saw there's still a big gap between where the ARG seems to lead and where the story of inscription seems to take off. Um like I can sort of draw the connection, but like it still seems pretty, pretty divorced from uh, where where the ARG seem to lead. And, and like I'm with you, I, I do have mixed feelings with it about it, uh, especially because I think Inscription like leaves a satisfying enough combination of breadcrumb breadcrumbs and like not dead ends, but just unfinished yeah, uh, leads yeah, yeah. that you're just not going to know, like. The story of Luke is that he does like get on the trail of like this big, right. weird, fucked up mystery.
2: This is why I like and the And can't Arg. solve it. This is why I, I like that the argue exists too. It's just like we're, we kind of like inhabit that in two forms, right? Like he also exits the game and goes out into the world to find things, right? So we can follow both, like we play along as Luke in both ways of like playing the game and then also looking into the external things around this game, which I think is a really f- neat way to make that parallel happen. Even if you don't engage with the ARG or the the things that the ARG ends up revealing aren't as interesting, I do like its inclusion f- as another mirror to the player be- being <laughs> Luke Carter. <laughs> Maybe yeah, no, I, I, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll go ahead, Rob. No, I was going to say, maybe the last thing I'll say here is, um, as far as the different stereotypes, almost, of the people who make video games, like the different visions of what inscription should be, the the competing, they're all given, they're all characters within the world of inscription, yeah. right? So there's, uh, you know, Leshy, the Beastmaster, there's uh, Magnificus, the wizard, um, there's Poe, uh, the computer, and there's uh, Grimora, the... Uh, like necromancer and what I find so cool about this is I think there's a version of this where, and they almost hint at it. You finally get into Poe's vision of the game. Um, And it turns out like Poe, despite being a computer um, is actually more of a game designer archetype within this game. Like he doesn't initially, I assume being the computer that he'd be the coder type, but he really is a game designer. Um, and so when you reach his vision of inscription, what's so funny is it's he's clearly hand-waving away all the narrative shit, all the right. theming, everything he just does not give a shit.
2: Well, I think that is kind of the coder, even within game design, there is a certain part of like coder mindset that is about making the mechanics and everything work, right? Like his whole thing is mechanical, where like Sorry to step on your point a little bit, but like the it, it I almost split them up into four different uh, thoughts or school of thoughts that all exist in concert in game development, right? Like Leshy's the yeah. narrative designer, Pose the coder, Grimora. I think is kind of like the one that's like, hey, we should maybe reuse assets. <laughs> like that's the whole reanimation business. But also, no, being the like person who knows when to edit things out, like and kill things off. Um and then the 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 one that I had the most trouble placing was uh Magnificus, but he kind of feels like the in a game sense, the, the power the power game or the idea of like making the power fantasy the point of this is game dev.
1: Magnificus I couldn't figure yeah. out either. And I was wondering if that's actually what makes him the coder. Is that it, right. his work is magical and mysterious and it's hard to put a finger on exactly what his deal is in terms of like his His vision of what inscription is uh, because he pops up in other people's visions, but I'm not sure we get a strong sense of what his is. We get a brief glimpse of what it might have been. Yeah, that's
2: and that that glimpse is what made me feel like, oh, this is the person who thinks the power fantasy is the be all end all of game design, right? That you have to make the 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 the. It has to be bombast, right? His numbers are big. There's full fucking like models representing each of the cards. Oh yeah, it's, it's right. It's the over. It's um, the overreach. Dynasty Warriors,
1: the card game.
2: Right. It's like end. it's 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 almost like the overreach of like trying to mm-hmm. make something bigger just for the sake of bigger being quote unquote better. Um, that's what I feel like his kind of role in like the whole like this is all a game dev uh like split is, but. The
1: the the thing I'll say is what I dug was that actually nobody here is labeled as like they make a shitty game like right. even Pose initially you're like look like it has zero theme work done <laughs> to it yeah it looks hacked together work in progressy um he doesn't care about the stuff that like everything in the original inscription that you play the the, the game you play in the cabin is heavily themed everything is being tra- ta- like attempted to be situated in a story of a journey in locations in characters Leshy cares about this stuff Leshy is a game master yeah poe doesn't and initially i was like ha, here's here's poe's like stupid vision of the game but poe's card game fucking whips yeah <laughs> Like it's good. <laughs> yeah. Now it it breaks apart really easily because by this point in the game you've you've amassed so many game breaking things that you can shatter. In fact, Poe just starts giving you more shit to break it faster. Um, because they're like partly I think they're trying to accelerate the the end of the game here. Um, and and also maybe you'd say that Poe is the sort of guy who doesn't know when to leave off, when yeah. to stop designing. Yeah. Uh, but but either way, what I what I dug here is that, like every part of this team, even though they'll turn against each other uh, does appear to have contributed something vital to the vision um, and seems to have like an idea for a cool game. Maybe Magnificus doesn't, but by that point, the world is breaking apart. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to pin down. But, but the point is like, I fully expected it to sort of at the end be like, okay, well, here's, here's the, here's the approach to game design that like, Inscription is going to cosine, right? And instead, it's kind of pointing to you can take an idea and arrive at so many different places, so many different good games, but they can't all go together. That's a good point. I think we should leave it there. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Did I just take all the air out of the room? No. You had a point. Did I step on it? No,
2: no,
0: no, 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 you're good. Well, we got to get to our mailbag. I mean, that's, I mean, look, inscription fucking rules. Yeah, also, we're going to keep
2: talking, we're going to do another one of these with Natalie later, so we can.
0: Yeah, it's not the last time we're talking about the game of the year 2021 inscription. Um, (laughs) You you know, sometimes you play a game, the problem with inscription, but I think it'll hold up, is, like, I know, I I know it's my favorite game this year, but you're coming in so hot off of something, Where like, you do want that distance, but sometimes you just know and it's like, I, you know, Boomerang X also hits for me like really hard. And that was my game of the year right until inscription showed up. So, you know, but still Boomerang X, you're still good. Don't worry about it. Second place is, is a fine place to be. Um, all right. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and we're going to get to your mailbag questions. All right, we're back, people. I had uh, asked for folks to write in a bunch of uh, mailbag questions on um, this first one. Uh, this is not a question, but I want to show you something that has to be confused and a little upset, but this is what my friend's workplace served for a Christmas dinner this week. I'm now going to copy Gmail, not let me just copy and paste it, so I will take a screen capture. Um, here we go. Uh, Christmas dinner in Abbott. I guess I don't know where. At, where's Abbott? I don't know. Uh, this on this Texas. That's right. Well, that's no.
2: That's go- I think. I think the governor of Texas is named Abbott. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like looking at this plate, that's somewhere in Britain. Where's mm. Abbott? Looking at this plate, that's somewhere in Britain. <laughs> Kato,
0: please, des- please, Kato, please describe this plate for me.
2: Oh, I mean, first off, they did a horrible job uh, lighting this. The flash yeah, okay. off the phone See, doesn't the help thing. any The lighting food. is doing a lot it's, to make this it point. It really doesn't look great. But on this plate, we've got uh, some beans. I don't know what kind of beans. Are those pinto? Maybe? Kidney beans? That's No, they're not red enough. Um, but beans, you know. Uh, under it and kind of to the side is some ham? Question mark? Yeah, like a sliced like a sliced honey ham or something. What I can't tell is either a sausage or a plantain. It's kinda of difficult, honestly, to what I don't know what that one is. Um, okay,
1: they're navy beans, aka Boston beans Boston or white beans. pea. Navy
2: navy beans. Navy beans. Yeah. Um a puck of bread? Literally it is a circle. It is a circle um an egg which i assumed is soft boiled hard boiled soft boiled cuz it's, it's in, a little, in it's in its, its own little can yeah like, in its own uh, little egg cup and then another know. piece of bread looking material is that bread is that another it meat could, i can't tell it could be I, it's a mystery it cor-
0: <laughs> i think mean, it could be a cornbready thing it could
2: be an egg like casserole yeah along. it could swear, be like a little egg triangle
1: was it network on twitter who said that uh The Brits still eat like there's German bombers flying overhead.
0: (laughs) This does yeah, this looks this looks like something you'd be fed in a shelter while you're waiting for the sirens to go off.
2: Can we figure out where Abbott is?
0: No, there's an Abbott Laboratories in Chicago. I don't think that's what this is, though. No.
1: So the thing is, I like I have never understood this like customary British breakfast. It's always just looked a bit odd. Like I don't see like what what's making this go? Like first of all, why are there so many different meats? I think like, the question, is the answer to that why not? See that's <laughs> why the I that thing. I think it only makes sense in terms of like there's a whole mess of food being made up mm-hmm. uh all at once and you just get a little bit of all of it. Um but then I'm like, well if we're going to that much trouble, I just don't know that I would I don't know that the Navy beans be playing quite such a starring role uh, that they are here. Uh, All
0: right. Next question. Uh, mm. So this, this kind of riffed on our uh, game of the year categories, but I thought this one was uh, worth bringing in uh, separately. Uh, What is your 2021 game of the year from another life? People fall into ruts. It's normal. Adults play a variations of what they played as kids. Rob grew up on PC gaming and he regularly brings Strategy, Sim, Racing, and Flight Games to the podcast. Patrick was a console kid, and I know I can count on him for the latest in puzzle platforming, puzzle platforming, and everything nebulously Jason. Damn. I don't like being read that way. But sometimes <laughs> games released outside of your genre, comfort zone, they look really cool, and you don't play them. Because learning new games is hard <laughs> because maybe you won't like it because you have limited time and want to play the games you know are a sure thing. What is your 2021 game of the year that you keep looking at side-eyed and suspect you would adore if you were just able to put aside the time and mental energy to devote yourself to something entirely new example My 2021 game of the year from another life is monster hunter rise. The game looks amazing, sounds amazing and hundred percent here to grind out monster fights to incrementally upgrade gear, but the controls are weird and it's hard and Capcom action games are always so punishing to people not accustomed to internalizing massive move lists and executing them. Monster Hunter, Devil May Cry, Beautiful Joe, Street Fighter, et cetera, are never built to just pick up and play. So I didn't play it. But in other life, right of background, and difficult melee action games, Monster Hunter is probably my game of the year. Um, I just think of MMOs. Like, I like RPGs mm. um, a lot. Um, I, I've traditionally bounced off of, like, the cooldown. Like you know, like the gen- the general MMO combat of like press a button, watch the action occur. Most of your job is to make sure those happen in the right order while everything cools down. I'm obviously simple oversimplifying because I don't spend a lot of time playing MMOs, <laughs> but um, uh, but like I look at like Final Fantasy, uh, was it uh, fourteen? 14? What's fourteen? Yeah. Like yeah, like I bet I would fucking adore that game. And like if that was in college. Uh, that's all I would be playing, but um, I, I I don't, and I I'm not in college, and I don't have the time for it. So like like looking like looking at all my friends who where my tastes line up on everything else, right? Like where uh, like Natalie Flores, like who like you know we had on for our Life is Strange, a True Colors podcast. Like every time she talks about a game, I'm like, damn, the way you talk about it, I can tell I would like that game if I if I took the time for it. And every time people talk about Fantasy fourteen and Endwalker, uh, was like oh, I want to be part of that. I can't. I won't. Not a chance. Uh, just there's no world where I could carve out enough time. I and then watching Austin do it. Yeah, and that's what convinced it, me. The way it drained him to to try and uh, to to muscle through that. Uh, I was okay. That was that was like the final lay on the coffin. Like not not. It's just not a game for me. Like that's it's cool. That happens. That's that's part of life and getting older. But it is, it totally fits this question of like, yes, in another life, in different circumstances, I would fucking love that game. It just, that's, that's not the Patrick Club mm. that exists. Mm.
2: Mm. I'm trying to be that. <laughs> I'm trying to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> like in the, the other life is the, the life where I got on to the Final Fantasy 14 train back in the day. <laughs> And was the thing, here I guess I, the One thing that's for Endwalker, Endwalker is my 2020 like last minute 2020. Your, 2020, 2021. your 2023,
0: 2021 game of, of, of the, the year, year yeah. Uh, but I guess like part. Par, my answer is sort of like dodges a bit of what they're saying, which is uh, not just like a lack of time, but is it runs up, it runs counter. Like I, there are lots of strategy games. Like to this point, I don't play strategy games because they scare me. I, I I I I stopped them after Command and Conquer Red Alert. And I look at them and go, I would feel stupid playing these games. Why why would I want to do to do that? That seems like a poor use of my time. But every time I've taken a chance and played like a Spelunky or a Dark Souls, uh games that I like made fun of prior to putting in the time. It's like, why do people want to play these masochistic games? And I was like, actually I want to be hit <laughs> like, by these games. Um and I, th- I think that's a challenge. Like that's, especially as you get older. Um, and I, I try to, to, to find the time each year to like play a, like an inscription is an example of like a game against type, right? Like that's right. not really my thing, but I ended up being my game of the year. Um, so like, like end walkers, like the time one, whereas like, I don't know, there are genres like deck builders, where like, I just don't have the institutional knowledge. And so I get scared off from ever trying them. Even if there are games that there have frequently been games where I, I, I have liked them in that genre. Um, but I get scared off because I just feel like I'm gonna spend so much time feeling dumb.
2: <sighs> I'm trying to think. This is rough because I like to play a lot of shit.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say you play you like that's the thing. Like you like kind of like I feel like it doesn't really apply to you because you play live service games, you play strategy I, games, I you play RPGs. As much yeah, as I can. Yeah.
2: Like, and I I do think the 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 my biggest like hole is still like modern anything any rts strategy game past like you know the starcraft area i haven't really touched but right or the starcraft 2 era rather um I, and like it was kind of because mobas took over that right like mm-hmm. you know they like came right out of, uh, of the rts genre and like that's what i've clung, clung on to since then basically But it's, like, adjacent enough that, like, you know, I should probably check out Company of Heroes 3. (laughs) Um, But I probably... I don't know, I I won't. Like, in a different life, I would have, right? Like, um, and I don't know if that's so much a time... I I think it's partially a time thing, but it's also, like, I feel like if if it isn't gonna be something with an interesting... Narrative that is probably something I'll end up bringing up on the podcast. The other games that I play that are multiplayer, I usually play with people, and I don't like the sort of like single player RTS thing, isn't really gonna fit that model, right? It's 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 a hundred percent just about the time management, I think. Because, like, me- mechanically, I would love to, <laughs> like, um, mm-hmm. th- those games did interest me at once upon a time, and I. It's just like, yeah. Between trying to keep up with things like Valorant and uh uh Destiny that are like regular and I play with other people, I'm looking I'm I'm looking on the other end for interesting narrative moments. So the strategy stuff kind of you know falls in between those two almost in my mind. So I, I don't go there as often these days
0: how do I get Rob to play
1: super meat boy challenge? (laughs) But I played super meat boy. It's fine. Who can't, who can't appreciate like nice tight, like it's tremendous platforming. (laughs) It's very nice. Satisfying to solve those levels. I can see why people like it. (laughs) Uh, Wow. So I think for me, boy, I think possibly the other like the other life me falls all the way down a returnal hole Mm. where I'm just like I want to just get my just get my ass kicked uh, by this fucked up gnarly roguelike (laughs) Uh, and uh, like just play the shit out of that, especially since it looked really like. Yeah, like it looked really cool. Uh I don't know if it holds up but like aesthetically it always looks pretty amazing from the snippets I saw. Uh and so it seemed like it would be like like a game that I would really enjoy on that level as well. But it's just never like that just doesn't fit either in my life and also just in how I tend to approach uh like like my patience to to play games like that. Uh I, I like I can see that being the 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 alternate uh, me game of the year, but in terms of things that I think about like different life, I think it's that that keeps me with a toe cautiously dipped in a lot of Sims and uh, like. I am so envious. The people I'm always like nose-pressed up with the glass pressed up against the glass, just sort of staring in at the fun they're having, are like the hardcore flight sim and racing game nerds. Like, cause the games I play are little baby games. Really? The people <laughs> who are like got their fully kitted out high-end iRacing setups, mm-hmm. or like a library of mods for like R Factor 2, or the people playing uh God, is it like Rise of flight still to this day. I'm like, man, they're just having like the other day I got an email. It's like, what was it? Uh it was a tank. It was a new tank coming to IL uh to IL2. And that's weird, because IL2 is a game about a plane. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on in there? And so I start I opened up a rabbit hole like tanks? IL2? And it appears that IL-2 is now just a live service game that, like, has ridiculously It's like DCS, but for World War II. But, like, appears to also have, like, a tank sim built inside of it now. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) But this is such a specialty interest thing that, like, the barrier to entry is just mountainous. Where it's like, okay, so... If you're going to do this shit, you're going to have to really learn how to fly these planes and really learn how to drive these tanks. And I'm like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm going to play Hell Let Loose
0: and just yell at my friends. Yeah. Uh, Rob, you want to read this next one from FB? Uh starts a sure. uh, highway point.
1: waypoint i'm catching up on old episodes of the podcast and in the dark souls of pokemon gita mentioned being curious about what movies people had seen when they were too young for the subject matter and i think i have some good ones My grandma had a pretty eclectic taste and didn't really go in for ratings. So my sister (laughs) and I saw a lot of films before we were really able to understand what was in front of us. These ranged from seeing Blues Brothers at (laughs) 6 to seeing Rocky Horror Picture Show at 8. But the one that really stands out is 1981 Black Comedy SOB. If you've not heard of the film, it's a wild ride following the dramatic mental decay of a Hollywood producer who decides that the reason his last film flopped was because of the lack of sex in it. (laughs) The themes of clinical depression and, uh, caution warning, suicide attempts played for laughs are interspersed with sex, nudity, and drug use. The film gained notoriety for Julie Andrews' role in it as she plays a wholesome ingenue, sick of family friendly roles, who accepts a starting part in the producer's erotica project. Seeing Mary Poppins go topless was a big deal for viewers in the 1980s. I saw this film when I was about 10 or 11. (laughs) I found the film pretty enjoyable, even if it felt most of the time like I was watching something in a language I didn't understand with the subtitles off. It's stuck in my brain for the last 20 years as a curious example of this type of thing, because most of the time it's a horror people point to as seeing too young and making them like this. Love all the work the crew puts out. Can't wait to see Natalie and Rob beat Inscription for the 17th (laughs) and final time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... That's fascinating. I feel
0: like I've heard at some point, like about Julie Andrews having that role in a film, but did not know what it was about or that's the line. My so, grandma had, my grandma didn't really go in. I love writing. that. Just yeah. So. Oh, oh, I don't believe it. God. That also implies, I want to know what else was going like. Did you ever have some other fun adventures with grandma? Cause it sounds like grandma. Grandma was definitely it. invested by whack.
1: <laughs> uh, so the thing is a movie that I didn't realize how young I saw because I am like, why is this movie lodged in my fucking brain for my whole life? I feel like I probably should not have seen Barton Fink at age eight. Hmm. Um, mm. I feel like for a couple reasons. One, that movie doesn't make sense in to an eight year old because of course it's like surrealism in places and so there's places where like the literal world of the film and like direct representation sort of fractures and gives way to the surreal experience in ways that i couldn't follow like how did john goodman set that whole hallway on fire and why doesn't anybody seem freaked out by it uh and then two the way it ends just the dread and horror of what's in because it's also got like a seven-esque like what's in the box type beat at the end. Um and that's just lodged in my brain of like being fascinated and horrified by that. Uh yeah, I've that movie's just like wedged in there. We'll never get it out. Uh all because my parents were like, these Cohen brothers seem like pretty interesting filmmakers, and this one's getting some <laughs> interesting reviews. Let's check it out for Family Pizza Night. <laughs> I saw uh, an interesting
0: uh, uh, – because of the new uh, Spider-Man movie and Sam Raimi doing a Doctor Strange movie. I think it's like some Evil Dead anniversary, but like one of the Coen brothers was like – came in and helped like Sam Raimi edit like parts of the original Evil Dead movie because they were all up and coming at the same time. And that then as a result of – I forget which was the Coen brothers movie – that resulted in this, but anyway, like you know, Evil Dead comes out for Sam Raimi. Coen Brothers have some of their initial success, and then they did a collaboration, like a like a forgotten Raimi film that was written by the Coen Brothers called Crime Wave, that apparently what? is terrible, oh, like no. is and and just could not have bombed harder, like for for both for both sides. But I it, I've added to my list of movies that I need to see over the holidays because I just. I consider myself like pretty well aware of Sam Raimi's uh, filmography and that one is like a giant blank, but it's also been buried. Like it's not one that like the the Coen brothers or Raimi ever really talk about because it was like sabotage done. It just like didn't work out. It was like one of those, like just pretend it didn't happen and everyone go on with your, with your careers. Um, But uh, I don't know. Yeah. I fall into the horror bucket of just like, but it wasn't like an especially scary movie. It was like, like E. T. Like really scarred me. Like as a young uh, kid, like I remember the that opening scene in the, um, you know, in the in the cornfield, like which is like the one jump scare in in that movie. But then that also, uh, my mom like turned the movie off when they find E. T. in a ditch and he almost dies. Like and he's all pale <sighs> yeah. and disgusting. Like my mom was like, "What is?" The, I thought I was in for the family-friendly, uh, like alien comes to hang out with the kids, and that's what a lot of that movie is. And that scene when they f- like find him over in the, you know, b- basically dying, uh, yeah. like
1: at the sewer grate, is horrifying. And this I look is at that what's na- so funny about, like, when you go to things like um, Stranger Things, and it's like, man, it's like a dark, creepy, uh, like, like. Tribute to Spielberg films in some ways, and it's like there ain't nothing in Stranger Things as creepy as the first act of ET. Yes. Like that's the weird thing is that like even there where it's like explicitly like leaning into horror, yeah, uh, there is still not the sense of you know what it is. It's that at no point like Stranger Things, you always know what the call shot is. You mm-hmm. always you always have a good sense of like yeah, I know what kind of story this is gonna be. The thing that Spielberg was so good at, especially in that, like, I guess we'll call it the first stage of his career, even mm-hmm. though this is probably, like, it, it's tough to divide to a career that way. But he was so good at, like, these things are approachable popcorn flicks. But also, there's a real sense of danger to a lot of these fucking things. Even the ones that are not horror have the sense of, like, there are moments where it's like, anything could happen here. Hey, it's not quite it. a mean streak, but, like, you see... uh Like the Spielberg that would come out in movies like
0: Poltergeist, which like he he frequently talks about the fact that he wanted to do more horror and then got pinned down by being the family-friendly blockbuster guy and just felt like if he was to do scarier stuff, it would undercut his ability to be marketed as like family-friendly. So you you get him shuffling off to the side and doing, you know, Poltergeist on the side or you get parts of E.T. which like skew darker because like um, E.T. started as a – like home invasion, like alien film night skies, I think is like the, was the original name that was supposed to be, uh, it was supposed to be like much scarier, like just like a straight up horror film. And then it went in a different, went in a different direction. But I mean, that's, I mean, that's what gives that movie so much weight. I mean, like it's, it's a great film. Otherwise, but like those moments, like those, like the good moments of like, like a film scarring you as a kid, like, I don't know, like I think are like healthy. (laughs) I don't know. Like, uh, Uh so maybe something- that's what I what I rationalize is I, you know, show my child increasingly scarier stuff because she she doesn't have nightmares. And so God. we just
1: you can watch gremlins, you're fine. My there's parents- something else about like ET and 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 Spielberg movies in that era too, where um there's a point like I would not say I come from a happy family. I would say my family was not happy in the eighties and early nineties for a variety okay. of reasons. Um It was like a lot of like strife and tension in that home. And I think one of the things that E.T. in particular, but I think a lot of movies from that era were really good at too is – but why I have trouble with them is – they get this strange tension of like home as not safe refuge, as things being slightly turbulent and unsettled. And close and, Encounters of the Third Kind is like a like a father leaves
0: his family to go fucking chase you know after aliens. That that I mean that
1: yeah that's a huge through line in a lot of Spielberg's early work. Right, and so that stuff. The the other thing that made me not like those movies is like so many of those movies so perfectly captured the vibe of like a lot of my early childhood was just this vague sense. You just walk in the door sometimes and it's like, there's something in the air. Like there's something like this is going to be a bad day if we're lucky and maybe a bad weekend uh, here around the house. And like those movies in that era so perfectly captured that. But the thing is for me, like when I go back to them, the thing that often makes me have to like sort of steal, steal myself yeah. for it is like, even though it's just E.T. like I know how, like I know ET, but I'm still like, okay, but remember, like, that feeling, that exact sensation, you're going to experience it now through this movie, and it's, like, just hardwired to, like, freak me out a little bit, but also, I kind of like that it's there because... I do not find many movies that are not, like, serious dramas now that even try to operate in that space. And dramas can't get there because the thing is they're not mundane enough. You know, dramas yeah. are always, like, the entire focus is, like, what's the fate of this family? And the thing about E.T. is, like, any sort of tension or, like, strife within the family is not the focus. It's just a backdrop to the story. But it is there. And I'm like, that's how that shit feels. Kyle, are you going to say something about your parents?
2: Uh... Yeah, I mean they were extremely strict as far as like ratings. The opposite of uh ratings, whatever grandma. <laughs> FB's grandma. Yeah. The like PG polar thirteen, opposite.
1: but like really sixteen.
2: Yeah. No, like it's just like the not until like I was I, I swear I was like December. I my birthday's in February. I was like twelve years old in December and they were like, You can't see that, you're not thirteen yet. <laughs> we, ta- we talked we <laughs> yeah, talked about this on the Matrix podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, but one of the things that like ended up scarring me, which for some reason they thought was okay because it was part of a series of VHS, uh, it was just a one of a bunch of things on this VHS. Faces of death. My family. <laughs> no, God. Like it was the thing. It's like I wasn't exposed to very much. Like it was pretty sheltered as far as the media I got in-, in contact with, but they really fucking loved Michael Jackson. They really fucking loved Michael Jackson and the V okay. the library had a VHS of Michael Jackson music videos that my parents loved to take out and in the smack dab in the middle of that is the one for Thriller which thriller. because it was my literally my only like horror adjacent thing that I saw until like I read the like Silence of the Lambs books <laughs> when I was like 13 but before that I literally had <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> why can we just t- side uh-huh. side tangent? Uh why? Cuz I I had seen, cool, because pe- People, like, talked about how, like, it was fucked up and creepy, and I was like, I can't watch like it. Like, mo- is it
0: because the movie came out? Yes. And then the... Pop- okay. And then right, it got popular,
2: right, okay. and, and yep, I yep. saw it on, like, the library shelf, and this was after the Matrix trick, which is like, oh, I can do anything <laughs> at the library, and my parents will be like, well, if the librarian said it was okay for you to take out, then you can take it out, which is how I saw the Matrix, because they had the DVD of the Matrix there, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this now, even though it's R-rated. <laughs> um... Anyways, like, I had zero to no exposure to horror as a genre at all, and the beginning of that, like, it takes from, um, uh, you know, it does, like, a similar, uh, werewolf transformation as mm-hmm. the one in, um, what is it called, American Werewolf in Paris? Is that the one that- Yeah, that's kind it's kind of like- the same Cribbing, uh, basically?
0: Same Well, not Cribbing, it's the same director. Oh, okay, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly, that, that, that entire thing freaked me the fuck out. I would, like, run out of the room- uh, when I was, I believe actually close, if I'm, if, I was like if six, cr- that was, it was, it was early enough for us like, oh yeah, this is a creepy thing for a small, but like my parents were so enamored with the rest of his music and the music itself that they like did not, Care that it was freaking yeah. me out every time we got well, that no, VHS. It's like, look, it's a little spooky, It's fine, it's spooky. Like, but then you, they the dance, yellow and eyes and then they, they dance. Dance. They're fine. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. god. Oh, worry oh, about oh, it. Yeah, the yellow line. Yeah. Nightmares, I, nightmares. I,
0: <laughs> we had like some music video playlists oh. going. Like sometimes we we'll put music videos on Apple Music on upstairs when the kids like want something on, but we don't want to put actual yeah. TV on. And like, Thriller came up at one point, and you know, like the baby doesn't care. She doesn't really pay attention to that stuff. But then like, Jessica found herself transfixed. And at the end when the eyes, she was like, ah, uh, and, like walked it's it's ran ran out of the room. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it's the, uh. the, the werewolf, um, uh, like not model, but like, you know, like whatever they use to do that transformation yeah. sequence in uh, Paris. It's the same one right. used in, um, in the, the thriller music <laughs> video. Yeah, nice. I remember reading something about like the props and like someone went to somebody's house that worked on that and, they were like, oh, yeah, this one's – why is this one uh, brown? And it's like, oh, we spray-painted it for Michael Jackson, but, like, it was
1: from, <laughs> right. you know – Right, it was American from – from Paris. Yeah, there you go. So, just quick thing. Uh, sure. In terms of, like, things I saw too early. Probably I saw all of it too early, but it escalated fast. Yeah. I loved Eddie Murphy as a kid. Fucking loved Eddie Murphy, like – Beverly Hills cop fucking ruled watch all that shit was young enough to realize the third one just sucked completely (laughs) and was like I'm off Beverly Hills cop now done and then I realized like maybe there's only one great one that's all I need to like worry about Uh, loved uh, coming to America but like my thirst my craving led me to uh, like things like distinguished gentlemen sure that's fine but like I need to get to the real shit. And so like trading places and I was like, haha, like he and Dan Aykroyd are like really taking down uh, those fat cats and Jamie Lee Curtis uh, is extremely naked and <laughs> I feel weird about that. Uh, I am intrigued, uh, but also should I should I be saying this? But it escalated too well. If I like Beverly Hills Cop surely nobody stopped me. Surely I will like 48 Hours. Hmm. and this leads me to my endorsement y'all should check out well first of all y'all should watch 48 hours but you should check out uh walter chaw's uh ah, essay as the... part of Voir on yeah i've heard about netflix this. yeah so uh Dave finch is producing the series called Voir, which is like a series of like video critical essays like it'd be like the best of what you'd find like on like Vimeo or YouTube in terms of like video criticism. Well, so, like imagine you know. those folks like given a, a huge budget to like, and the ability to like license clips.
0: And yeah, like I've heard, I've heard the one that has uh it's an essay on jaws in that collection. Like they actually went to Spielberg to be like, Hey, could you, could you sign off on doing these clips? Cause the studio is never going to do it. And so Spielberg personally, you know, like signs off on using stuff.
1: Right. Uh, and which also just in the case the degree to which like, Doing this type of work is just a giant pain in the ass because of the way like rights holders abuse uh, copyright. But uh, Voir has an amazing essay from Walter Shaw on 48 Hours, which I think. You'll get a lot out of it if you haven't seen the film, but if you're curious for why 48 Hours stands apart, I think it is it is erroneously remembered as an 80s buddy cop movie. It is not. It is. There is a it is a mismatched partners uh, like angle to it but it really is a much harder hitting story about like police and race than it is given credit for being um and i think crucially it's not a racial reconciliation story and chaw's essay kind of draws that out it's easy to mistake it for one but it isn't uh and it has some like really important and uncomfortable things to say throughout. And Murphy and Nolte are like perfect in the film. But when I saw it at like age 12 or age 11, uh, I was like, wow, this is just not very, it's like Beverly Hills cop, but everyone hates each other. Um, and so just didn't, didn't like the vibe at all. And it turned me against Nick Nolte forever. Uh, cause he was like, he was mean, to, he was mean to Axel. Um, but now, now when I revisited it like uh, earlier this year, I was like, "Shit, man, this movie is amazing." Um, got some follow
0: up on our AMC. We've had we've been talking about uh, this started with me telling a story about touching the buttons too many times, despite correctly getting the orders in. Yeah, and then talking to being talked to by a manager for like, "Please don't touch those those buttons," even though you got it right. And some other people have been writing in about you know someone. Managed to – was it like skim some money off the – I forget exactly how it worked. But anyway, we're following up on different ways that these uh, equivalents of fast food places uh, track folks. And uh, this comes in from uh, Victor from Virginia. Hey there, Waypoint crew. Regarding the AMC workers skimming cash from episode 447 of Waypoint Radio, I can tell you how a person might get caught. I think because we speculated who was the narc. Yeah. Like if you are are skimming the cash, is it happening through – my theory, having worked at jobs like that, was, like, the young assistant man, assi- assistant to the manager type who, like, you know, wants to get ahead, has a little bit of power, um, and, uh, you know, rather than probably, like, your fellow teenagers who have nothing to, like, gain from ratting you out. Anyway, they continue. I have roughly 10 years uh, working and supervising at corporate restaurants, coffee shops, and cafes. Assuming the theater cashier is voiding the order and pocketing the money, you don't necessarily have to narc for them to get caught you're still handing out the product. New inventory has to be purchased. And eventually, the people who have to make the orders, people like me at one point, start to notice when you're bringing in doesn't match what you're handing out. Also, when you're assigned to a register, your name is on that drawer. It's counted and logged before and after your shift to ensure there's no missing money. Any transaction, open, closed, voided, or otherwise, can be recalled on the point-of-service POS system or device. It is, after all, just a touchscreen computer running an unintuitive UI sales program. At this point, you begin watching everyone at the cashier to see if someone is making honest mistakes, and you can correct it. That's how you find out if someone is skimming a little or a lot off the top. If it took years for them to get caught, it's likely the theater noticed they weren't bringing in the right amount of money relative to the amount of products sold and started checking everyone's end-of-shift receipts to find the missing link. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't steal from large corporations that pay garbage wages that probably treat their employees like shit while practicing wage theft. I was spoiled at uh, working at places that treated us well and pretty much let us run the the place how we saw fit. I'm just sharing how one might have their scam discovered without one of your teammates turning you in. Love love everything you do. Fuck capitalism. Go home. I guess that makes sense. I guess it makes sense. There'd be (laughs) redundancies in place other than just hoping Jeff... (laughs) It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't catch you. Um, uh, This is another follow-up when uh, earlier we, Rob had read a story about uh, somebody at the machine airport. They were making uh, airplane parts at a factory. Uh, This is uh, from tired EMT. Um, Hi, Wimper crew. After hearing about the machine shop airplane parts story and Rob's factory story, I thought I would share my own. (laughs) I work as an EMT for a private ambulance company, meaning a private uh, for-profit business, not a government entity. While there's no hard quota on number of calls ran or time spent on call with a patient, we will start to get questioned and harassed by management and dispatch if they feel we are taking too long. Once again, this is for people in medical emergencies. The county I work in has private ambulance companies do uh, a lowest bidder war to see who gets the contract, so it is in the best interest of the company for us to run as many calls as possible as fast as possible. This directly clashes against patient care and advocacy. There are numerous issues that are out of control in the field. Uh, Traffic, weather, hospital wait times to get a patient admitted, etc. Imagine our enjoyment of rendering medical care to a patient at the back of our ambulance while we are waiting for a bed in the emergency room, only to have a dispatch manager who is sitting behind a desk in a call center and is not a medical provider constantly calling and hounding us about time compliance and metrics. This is also not unique to my company, but is an industry-wide problem with the privatization of emergency medical services. Thanks for all that you do. Tired EMT. Ugh. That's fucked. Yep. Just <laughs> Ah. Bad. Ah. Uh... oh, okay, hold on. Ugh. This is uh let's see. Da, da, da. Oh, uh uh Kato, why don't you scroll down, do a control F for Adam? Uh and you can you can read this one.
2: Okay. Uh, from Wisconsin? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Hi, all. Adam from Appleton, Wisconsin here. Shout out Rob's alma mater, Lawrence University. Love you guys and the podcast. Quick story to lead into my question. My first non-handheld game console was a PS2. I had been begging for one along with Jack and Daxter for months leading up to Christmas. My dad is an old-school farm boy who... As I always wish I was more into hunting and fishing as opposed to video games. But one day, when we were shopping leading up to Christmas, I spotted uh who? the official strategy guide book for Jack and Daxter hiding under some other items in his shopping cart. Being an idiot but trying to be well-meaning, I pointed it out and explained to my dad that we did not own that game or even the system to play it on, so the book wasn't really good for anything. My dad got all pissed and went and put the book back on the shelf. As you've probably deduced, he had already gotten my desired Christmas PS2 and the game, so the strategy guy would have been to go along with it. I thought my hard-ass dad was just ignorant of my gaming hobby and was confused when he picked out the strategy guide for me because he had heard me mention the name Jack and Daxter or something. But really, he was being sweet and going above and beyond for my gift. Never actually got the strategy guide, though. Not sure if he didn't go back for it out of spite (laughs) or just never got around to it. So it's got a little long, but here's my question. Do any of you have stories about someone in your life who knows nothing about games or really any of your hobbies, but went to an extra effort to show their support through a thoughtful gift or some other action? Happy holidays, Adam. That's brutal. Yeah. that's (laughs) Just getting Uh... called out by your kid. Hey, what's that? (laughs) Hey, d- hey dumbass we don't have that a ps2 <laughs> oh, God. I I mean,
1: okay actually every time somebody tries to do something that like that only makes sense because they're hinting that the system has been bought yeah it never goes right <laughs> because like i just want the fucking system man right. just release me from this hell where like can i either play this shit or not but every time tr- try to do that cutesy two-step we're like oh, oh, oh why are we why are we trying to get stoked for this game you can't play uh ooh, play with fire play with fire <laughs> i never i never had anything like
0: like you know i've shared the story in the past of like my mom like purposely lying about having bought the pre-order mortal Kombat and and then showing it to us which is good but uh when I, when I read this, the story that like, my dad never understood much of what I did for a living, but like still went out of his way to like support what I did and like do what he could to support what I, what I did and would brag about what I did. Even he didn't understand what it is that I, <laughs> what it is that I did. And, like The one that like stands out the most, that was one of the most, so incredibly awkward was I remember when I'd flown out to San Francisco move there and I was at one up and I didn't do a lot of podcasts, but occasionally I was on One Up Yours with Garnet Lee and Luke Smith and 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 was it Mark McDonald and John Davison, I think that was that original. No, Shane Bettenhausen was on that uh, lineup too. Um anyway, I was on there occasionally like a lot of people. And whenever I did my first one, like podcasts were such a new thing. Like I was like, oh like it's like you're on the radio. And I remember coming home for Thanksgiving or Christmas and telling my dad like about this thing I had done. Like I was on this thing called a podcast, yada, yada. And we had family over and he like made me like load it up on his laptop and just start playing it like in front of like six family members to like just sit and like, listen to it. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and it's just like, uh. you know, one up yours, like a, a bunch of d- drunk guys, uh, <laughs> Just talking about They weren't always gear. drunk. Some of them were. Um, and uh uh you know, and there's me occasionally like popping in. And it, it just went on for like five or ten minutes. And I was i like was like, Dad, we we cannot like I why do my aunts and uncles need to listen? Like, thank you, thank you. This is <laughs> I'm glad you have taken an interest in, in what I am doing. Um The better version of this is like, uh, when I worked at G4, um, it was the first time I'd been on television. Like I had been called up to co-host some of the, uh, like press conferences and stuff like that. Like, even though I wasn't hired as talent, they liked what I had done on various, uh, video and audio things. They're like, we're going to have you and do some actual on camera stuff. And, uh, so when, The couple of things I was assigned, like one of them was like the Ubisoft press conference. I was uh, co-hosting with uh, Blair Herder, I believe. And uh, I told my dad like, okay, like this is a very specific thing. I'll be on TV during these times. And he was working and he didn't know – he wasn't sure when he'd be around a TV. So uh, he worked for Riddell Sports. Like if you like watch football, like the big red Riddell helmet logo, like that's them. Um, because he, at the time, was, like, the vice president of the company, he, he had all of the TVs in the entire office changed to G4 so that on the off chance when he was walking between things, like, he might catch me, like, doing something <laughs> and then called me at one point, like, after it was over. I was like, oh, I got to see you for a minute, like, oh. as I was going between meetings. And I was like, that's really, yeah. like, 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 a, like a, a cute abuse of power for, like, all of the... <laughs> I'm sure that all the other were just tuned to like ESPN. Like I don't think he was depriving people of, you know, seeing something particularly important. Um, but those are the two the the two things that ran ran
1: through my mind. I think for me, um this is a I think the most surprising, sweetest, like surprise gift I got was um My partner, I think one of our first Christmases together, she got me a track IR. And track IR, for those, speaking of other life, sim, like living that sim life, (laughs) track IR is a head tracker. You can sort of fake it with um, like, you know, webcams and such, but like it's more of a precision uh, way to just like track the motions of your head and crucially like exaggerate them so that like the like key use case is if you're in a flight sim uh, without looking away from the monitor you can like turn your head like 30 degrees off of center and the in-game camera will pan around 180 so you're like looking over your shoulder to see what's behind you um and one it like makes everything more immersive and two there's just certain games that are way fucking easier like flight sims, if you can look around and use other visual references. They're very hard to play uh, without this stuff. The thing that was cool about it was that this hadn't been particularly high on my, like it wasn't, not high, it was like I hadn't been out there lobbying to get it, right? I had just said often enough that I thought it was a cool thing and maybe someday I might like it. And it just sort of showed up. And it turns out I liked it a great deal. Um, now, I've not replaced it because I think eventually USB, it, like, it developed a fault and just, like, wouldn't work correctly. Uh, and But, like, I probably should have replaced it because when it stopped working, I stopped playing a bunch of games that I used it. And I didn't enjoy even racing games nearly as much without it. Uh, but, yeah, it was more the, like, oh, wow. It's, like... There, like, like anyone can get you something that's, like, the top of your list of shit you want, but it's, like, when someone pulls something from a file that you don't know existed, right, where it's, like, I don't think I ever said I want that, I think I merely expressed positive enough interest in it enough right, that, like, it was filed away, and here it is. And that was very touching and very
2: sweet. I feel like I don't have a specific one aside from... Like, giving my parents a shout-out for every game they managed to buy me. <laughs> Just because, I mean, when you're a kid, you don't really notice. Even when parents say, like, no, we can't afford that. You think, like, but I don't know. I saw you buy, like, groceries or whatever <laughs> <laughs> or some shit. A lot, shit. Of, a- a lot <laughs> of eggs in this house. But, yeah, like, there's, there's, you have money, right? But, like, you know you don't know how dire it ever really is as a kid and like growing up and understanding what it is to live on your own. And then like looking at how many people were in that house versus what my parents' jobs were. I'm like, it's a damn miracle. I had any technology (laughs) and like, you know, it was important to them. Like even when we couldn't afford it, they made an effort to, for example, like let us go and like, Have as much computer time at the library as possible before we could get our own computer. That sort of stuff, and like, like them, they could have very easily made the like probably correct financial choice to never get me a video game console or any video games. But we're like, it's literally the only thing he talks about. (laughs) We're gonna, we're gonna, you know, scrape together what we can to support this hobby. Um, so like, really, it's just like all of it (laughs) for me because. It's an expensive hobby. It's a very expensive hobby, and no free to play, no free to play games. Right, uh, right. Back, there wasn't. Then. I mean, there were. It was fucking like flash games on the PC, right? Like this. Right, <laughs> gotta get that PC <laughs> to get those. Yeah, um, and so like, yeah, I think it's just them being like. I don't know like even even when they were like controlling like the amount of time I played they were never negative about it as a hobby it's like you just have to do it in moderation there's an there was an understanding like it wasn't like wasting complete time like leisure time is important but you also need to stand up from your chair sometimes was the only yep. real limitation right like they weren't they weren't mean about it which I've like even other people who had more games than me had parents who were like your is fucking broad and rotting like i know you know like know. that sort of thing yeah um, my, my parents were always cool about yeah, that yeah.
0: despite like my dad being like a hard-nosed sort of sports guy yeah he also sort of just left that shit alone again it was like hey just you know could you just play, play basketball until you're in eighth grade and then i don't care what you do after that it's like okay like if that's what gets you off my back about ever playing final fantasy eight <laughs> until <laughs> four in the morning, <laughs> uh, fine. Uh uh okay uh this next one comes in from C. Uh hi y'all just figured I'd add some context to a recent question about uh where the topic of Trader Joe's liquor was brought up in comparison <laughs> to Aldi's. <laughs> I worked at a Trader Joe's for just over 4 years so I can tell you with confidence that yes, the store brand liquor is usually of higher quality than one might expect for the asking price. In fact, it is precisely like a quote Aldi situation as Patrick said (laughs) probably because the two chains are privately owned by the same family oh shit uh the uh the the Joe sold the chain in 1979 to Theo Aldbreck owner of Aldi Nord and as I discovered while drafting this former Nazi (gasps) soldier what Hmm. what (laughs) what I can't speak for the business practices at Aldi's, but the explanation I was given while working at TJ's was that the cheaper store branded liquors were this exact same product as the name-brand bottles. TJ's brought liquor before uh, production completed and, quote, paid in cash, then repackaged internally for cheaper than the original. So what is in the store-brand bottle was often made alongside the name-brand product and in the same production facilities. I can personally attest to the fact that, uh, one, the whiskey was better than I expected it to be. And two, it's even more reasonably priced once you add the employee discount. (laughs) Thanks for the great podcast. I'm off to tell my former coworkers a fun fact I learned today. All the best. See. I think that's also how Kirkland's like branded stuff works. It's like they are just paying to take it off. It's like very similar to – isn't that also how like TV displays work uh, too? Where like – There's basically two factories that make OLEDs, for instance. Right. And so you have like the cheaper brands – you know, you know the margins work differently, but then they you have you know brands that are essentially they're in a lot of ways the same display, and then it's like what is what is on around that that, that is differently, and so that happens with with liquor as well. And so I, my understanding has always been that's how Costco and Aldi's work as well.
1: Well, and also like I remember this was not necessarily a scandal because it's like one of those open trade secrets, but this was during like the peak bourbon boom, right? Like in the late two thousands, early teens where bourbon and then a rye were like just super fashionable. And like, I think they are less so now in part because they got really expensive. Uh, But one of the things that emerged was like, well, actually a lot of these different labels of bourbon that existed were all kind of coming from a couple distilleries. And then they were being finished by other manufacturers. Now you can do a lot in the finishing process. That's where a lot of the flavor comes from. So you can all, but, but ultimately like the thing that was a bit scandalous about it is you had all these, Distilleries out there with their like little label story telling the story of their brand and like implying. A bit like a Mask Brothers chocolate situation, where it's like <laughs> they're doing. You know, they're,
2: this
0: is farm to
1: table whiskey. Yeah, uh, we're, exactly. We're doing exactly. it all ourselves.
0: Like, no, nope, we
1: are buying vats <laughs> of this like raw like whiskey product from a distillery in Indiana owned by a one of like the two big multinational uh, like alcohol manufacturers, and then. We're putting our own little spin on it. And you can still get great bourbons that way. But this notion that they were out there like craft, like handcrafted bourbon. Like that's bullshit, right? It's like it's more of a handcrafted brand. Uh, but that's just the nature of uh, like where this where the space was. So I imagine there's there's a lot of where situations like that. I imagine it's pretty easy to get decent store brand stuff because like those distilleries exist and are selling to anyone. Kato, I saw you looking up the Albrecht. Yeah. I had questions about this. I can't pin down I don't I can't pin down the Naziness I, of Theo Albrecht. So I don't want to say he's a Nazi soldier. We do know that he served in the Wehrmacht during World War II. But, but I couldn't pin down anything that says he was like it Might have just been a guy caught up in a war. I don't know.
2: But he joined during World War II, is what this says. It it does say citation need in here. He was part yeah, of the j- Africa Corps, but it, said, yep. it, it says joined during, which doesn't. Mm, if you join up while that's already going on, then I don't know if uh, there's any. Well, they else. also had
1: conscription though, so like.
2: Oh yeah, uh, right. That's the thing. Joined does seem like volunteer. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know if volunteer or not. Like, but that's
1: that's the thing. It's like thing it's I, like where, I don't know that I'm going to say Neil Albrecht was a Nazi soldier. <laughs> what we can say is was part of the Wehrmacht during World, World War II, and we don't know much about his service or how he ended up there.
0: Hmm. <sighs> uh Rob, do you want to read this 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 last one? This was one I picked for for you in Akato. Uh this comes in from, from Paul towards the end there.
1: Sure. Uh Paul writes A good rule of thumb when buying kitchen appliances and tools is never buy anything that only has a single narrow purpose. This is especially true for those of us that live in small apartments where space is a precious commodity that we cannot afford to squander. And yet, there are some things that make no sense to own. And yet we must, because of some quirk of how we decided to organize our lives. For me, it's the paella pan.
2: Yeah. This thing is basically a
1: huge pan (laughs) It takes up a stupid amount of space and is shaped in a way that it basically is only good for one thing cooking paella. <laughs> I probably make paella at most once a year. And sadly, it has been completely out of use since COVID happened. It makes no sense for me to own this thing. I will not get rid of this pan. Do not paella is a great thing to cook for six to eight people. Did a paella pan write this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything else I can consistently cook that well for that group size, and so I must hold on to the pan. So my question to the panel is: What is the kitchen tool that is impractical and absurdly necessary for you to have? Happy holidays and fuck Activision, Paul. I I think I'm making sure a paella pan is what I think it is.
2: It's it's essentially a walk with a flat bottom, but as big as a big walk, like a real big one,
1: you know? Oh, shit, dude. No, not doing that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Even wrong. <laughs> Look, I mean, you can essentially use it like a walk. I'm sure you could make a perfectly good stir fry in there, but it's big. It's big. It's
1: big. I think the issue <laughs> is there's no like I don't have the burners to 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 make that thing make sense. Right. Right. That's that's the real issue.
2: Right oh
1: man so yeah Cato, what what are, what are you cursed with
2: i mean i don't know that it's a curse but i have a nice grinder i had to get a nice grinder i make enough of my own coffee that i had to get
1: that doesn't count i don't think you yep. make it all the time that's a
2: but it only has one it is only useful for grinding coffee beans I cannot well, grind is, other spices. Why I cannot p- grind other, like, it is not a, like, food processor. It is a coffee bean grinder that costs too much money and takes up too much of my very limited New York apartment kitchen space. Hold on, what do you got? Space. What do you got? I got a Virtuoso
1: Plus. Virtuoso Plus? Yeah. Because I'm like, mine's small. Like, mine's the size of, like, a couple coasters. That's its footprint. Yeah,
2: my mm, a couple, yeah. This is a little beefier. Oh. It's not. It's not horrible.
1: Yeah, it ain't bad. It's, it's tall.
2: looks tall. It is tall. I can't yeah, put is it... that
1: actually it, getting under the counters?
2: It's not. That's the thing. It okay. has to stay on the counter. Is it actually counter. getting underneath the cabinets? <laughs> just barely.
1: <laughs> okay, but it does... There's clearance. So <laughs> there's you just like, carefully... Yeah,
2: slide it in and out when but I you go to make beans. But you can't put beans in
1: while it is, like, no. <laughs> back there. Okay.
2: Uh... But yeah, it's just it is the machine that is literally it is. That is the only thing I use it for. Yeah, I and mean, I do this use is a, it I enough this is where I do use it enough, but it is still, you know, only coffee. That's all that can I go think in
1: there. This is where Paul. But I think this formula is just a little bit off because I think what Paul's getting at is like the paella pan is the perfect example because right. it's like it's good for cooking one thing. Basically, you can maybe make it do other things, but not really. There's there's you're better off doing a lot of stuff in the skillet than in a paella pan. Um, but I think like what he's getting at a shit like a uh, a cherry pitter, right? You got one of those where it's like when you want to when you when it's cherry season, yeah, man, you wish you had a cherry pitter. <laughs> Well, it's not Do cherry you? season, what the
0: fuck is this All the ki- for? Oh, All the kids get together in the town square, cherry pitter, <laughs> cherry pitter, <laughs> and then Rob comes down the street with his cherry pitter, and all of the kids scream. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think God. it's like it has to be like, it is a tool for a highly specific yeah. niche purpose that you don't use That's... frequently enough to justify... Is its existence, but you love it so much uh, that you just like cannot cannot get it. Like I love the fact that they even point I'm out sure like, it it's, co- it's COVID. I
2: can't. You know, like ha- haven't well, done this in two years. Okay, but I mean, it's not a cooking implement, but my slide projector. Sure, I, I have- feel like we could. Wa- I feel like we widen this out. I feel
0: like there are probably <laughs> objects in everyone's home in which this applies, in which it is, um and it can't be something that's just well. Freely, this is going to be nostalgia, right? Like this is something from my childhood. This is something that's emotionally important. I think you have to take that part out of it, right? Like the the paella pan is not nostalgic to yeah. this person. It's just like I fucking love paella. Gonna I'm make it. it. Gonna make it eventually. Yeah, and it's, that thing is sticking around yep. until I get that chance again. So where, where is this Why do you have a? Sli- why do you have the slide projector?
2: Well, because I used to be a photographer who liked to play around mm. with slide film, and like I would make slides, and like I made a couple installations while i was in college using automatic slide projectors um and so i still have it despite the fact that i don't take slide slide film is like almost impossible to uh, develop anymore the 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 fucking they don't make it mostly and the the chemicals to um to develop them are slowly and uh surely uh You know, drying up like they—it's not being made anymore. So, like, what exists is limited. But I'm not gonna get rid of the slide projector. I'm gonna someday, eventually, be like, "Look, um, here, here it is. I can show these slides that I have somewhere, which I do have somewhere."
0: Like my it has eventual a, my eventual
2: children yeah. will ask, "What the fuck that, is that, that thing? <laughs> what's a slide projector?"
0: And, "Oh, I've been waiting for you to get old enough to ask."
2: And I'll pull up the images on my computer and show them <laughs> look at these slides I took. When well, you say you need that machine over there whose bulb burned out long ago <laughs> in order to view them. Also, now I can't replace this bulb. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs>
1: Now now to replace this bulb I have to pay $250 to a guy in Michigan. Uh and then $50 shipping and also he's only going to sell me 10 of them. Yep.
0: Wait wasn't uh Rob wasn't there a, a, a moment? I remember you saying you had to send something away where it'd be worked on indefinitely. Wasn't that like a speaker thing that was Oh gonna the be-
1: speaker thing is we <laughs> Patrick, it's ongoing. <laughs>
2: We're in the middle Did of you it. Say- Arrangements Wait, so- are
1: being made. These speakers have got to get to Florida to <laughs> the last person in North America who I think can service them.
2: We're in Florida. Also,
1: okay. he is probably an elderly fellow. Right. And so there's a lot of reasons we need to get these things <laughs> re uh like refinished. <laughs> like literally, like this is this wait, is wait, shit that, like, do you
2: know where in Florida?
1: Like Uh I don't, but I can find out.
2: Because I'm, I'm going to be in Florida. <laughs> no. Are you driving? No. <laughs> I don't mean I could take them. I just mean it might be funny if I'm in the same city as your speakers. <laughs> you could check you could, you could check in on them. Yeah, I could be like, "Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm here to do a." Wait, wait Kato,
1: are you driving? You got a big car? <laughs> hey, how about you? How about you rent a wagon? <laughs> And also, don't bring anything. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, Rob, I don't I'm need sure any you'd be luggage. If I'm perfectly I,
1: comfortable with Kato kind of strapping your speakers to the top of his car, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, like that's that's definitely ongoing. Trying to get these uh, fuckers fixed, and it's terrifying because it's like the materials to repair them are yeah no longer manufactured. they are substitutes, but like opinions vary as to how good they are. Uh, and then two, the people who know how to service systems like this are also kind of not super common. Um, and so, yeah, it's like kind of a race to if these things get repaired right, they're probably good to go for 30 more years. And then we can cross whatever that bridge is, uh, you know, when <laughs> I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I'm sorry, I finished your thought. <laughs> but if we don't get them fixed, uh, then I've got these I've got one beautiful heirloom mono speaker. Oh, well, oh no. Uh
0: you know, if you sit in the right part of the room, maybe uh maybe you can,
1: you oh, can trick yourself. Hang on, quick aside, I'm sorry. Mm. Let me tell you about a new rabbit hole. <laughs> I mean, now that I'm falling down. <laughs> no, I know this is I know crazy when I hear it. <laughs> but uh, tell me if this makes sense. Mm. So I was watching an interview with the maker of the speakers bob carver and he was talking about how stereo has this big problem which is that our ears each hear one audio event for a noise in the room right like so like you rap on a table and that sound the sound waves traveling off that hit each ear at slightly different moments and that sort of gives you your sense of like like where in the room that is happening, etc. cetera. Um, but it's like clean one, one signal, like boom, two events, one for each ear. Stereo has an inherent problem. Stereo is playing sounds from both speakers. And so instead of two events, you have four events. because Both ears are hearing what's coming off these speakers and they do interfere with each other. And so, God damn it. How do we fix this problem? Well, there's headphones. Few... Nope, worse. <laughs> what? He was like, that's actually... No, headphones is... Because... The,
2: that's the, that's see the this little fucker? Answer that everyone fucking... The answer is headphones, motherfucker. What are you about to say?
1: Nope. See this little shit? See the little, like... I'm the holding, driver I'm, in I'm your headphones?
2: headphones right? Yeah, what about the... What about it?
1: Yeah, that's actually a very... Like, he's like, this is an acoustic, acoustically messy space because uh-huh. what you've got now is you have the sound sort of bouncing around inside the chamber. Uh-huh. Um, earbuds don't cause this issue uh, because now like the sound just goes straight into like the eardrum and done, but like headphones actually do not, but like speakers are the nastiest, like as far as this goes. And he was like, so obviously the only way to solve this big problem is with a shit ton of math and a proprietary, like, audio oh maybe an algorithm to have a third like something else monitoring the room oh, and sending no. <laughs> and trying to cancel the like rogue sound waves
2: oh my god
1: um and i'm like my speaker sound like th- is this a problem is this a problem like stereo sounds great in what world and then also i'm like Oh shit though that makes perfect sense intuitively that makes a lot of sense.
2: <laughs> run, run.
1: Run. So the thing is So what you're
2: saying is solutions you've sol- to this problem you've exists. solved this problem by going mono.
1: <laughs> that is actually a school of thought. There are people there are people who are like mono got a bad rap mono was tremendous and uh it should have like it should have stuck around uh because you were better off with a really good uh mono source than like a mediocre uh stereo source, and that's what most that's what ends up happening for the most part. I think that's a out there opinion but but I know it exists um but this is like this is a thing that a lot of like places apparently are trying to address like the uh, like audio formats now are moving into the space of like how do we clean up like it's related to the positional audio thing mm-hmm. um how do we clean up? like sound waves in a space and instead of having the flat like 2d picture that we have of sound because of the way we experience it through stereo how do we restore that live performance thing where each sound only creates distinct events in each year um this is obviously a rabbit hole I have no interest in <laughs> I'm not going down it uh-huh I'm just reporting the news <laughs>
2: oh my god I'll be uh, happy to hear going you and we're gonna, report back after the break when you've uh, done some more digging gonna say,
0: <laughs> we're gonna let Rob just have two weeks to himself
2: <laughs> oh god
0: uh, it's not I don't uh, cause I don't really like a whole lot of things I don't have like objects like this uh, especially not in the kitchen but um I refuse to give up my phone number, like my cell phone number. I've had it since I was f- 15, I think, when I got my first mm-hmm. singular wireless. Uh, uh, not, I think it was a Razer phone. I think that was the – no. I had – I eventually got a Razer phone. It was one before that. I like the early like snake on it. Um, and it's like managed to survive now 20-plus years, and I should get rid of it because – that number has been like doxed multiple times, and whenever there's like a flare up on the internet, I c- can rest assured like my phone number will be part of like the harassment that occurs <laughs> of that. Um, but I ref- I ref- I refuse to give in. <laughs> just, like the one time when it happened really bad, I just turned my phone off for like one of the way- one of the forms of harassment was just we'll just call spam you, and so. People weren't like leaving messages. They were just calling my phone and my wife's phone over and over and over again for like a 24 hour period. So we just turned our phones off and then it stopped. But the solution to that would be to get a new phone number um, that you haven't had for 20 plus years. Um, but I won't. And and, and I don't. <laughs> and so I'd still have a phone number. to granted, I, I did switch to, I refi- I, what I did do was years back get a signal number that is attached to a Google voice number. And that is the number that I give out on like professionally um, on everything. Like I fill out forms and stuff like that with that, trying to prop propagate that number <laughs> around. Um, but I, I still have that personal number and I just, is that the one I made you it, so far. it got leads before that. Okay. Like I made the, uh, that that didn't help uh, matters, but um, like one of the time, one of the times it was a self docs, I guess, because there was a website for our wedding that I didn't take down at a certain point, And then
1: people, Oh yeah. Our wedding website was completely unsecured. Uh, yeah. Uh, Which well, we did not have, that it was- like MK had a freak out. She was like, look, it, like there's the, there's always the argument, like security through obscurity, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you'd have to be looking pretty hard to like find on this domain, our wedding photos, but at the same time, if you found, if you you got that link, if you just found, or just found your way there through their site, um, there we were. And there was a bunch of info. Yep. Here's our house. Yep. Uh, so
0: that I, I I believe that's what I ended up figuring out. was like, how did they get my wife's phone number? It's like, Oh Yeah she switched numbers not because of that she had to switch them for different reasons but uh, <laughs> but also she would have also she would have she was like i don't want to live this life like who gives a shit about this 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 number from a northwest suburbs of chicago when we when we were teenagers
1: yeah that's the thing i'm like i'm like i'm not giving up my 617 numbers do not know like sorry i'm from boston and i'm like <laughs> i'm deep in like the greater Boston area. But I'm like, fuck off. Uh mm-hmm. like everything must be a six oh seven. Don't give me that nine seven eight <laughs> shit. Um So here is the thing is all my all the stuff I have, in the kitchen at least, is eminently sensitive.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, wait. Uh-huh.
1: Okay. You were saying something about so a cherry pitter So maybe there's one earlier. thing. <laughs> maybe there's one thing. Oh wow, what a concession. Because the cherry pitter is a good thing to have, oh my and my I goodness. don't regret it at all. <laughs> <He's> However, <laughs> I have this thing. Hmm. It's like a garlic paper
2: remover. <laughs> Wait, you it's mean garlic paper? You mean the side of your fucking knife? No. You just, put, that's, you just put the fucking clove under it, and you give it a quick smack, and dude, that's I, it. The paper's off. Yeah, but then you're smashing it. No, you're not. Not if you do it right.
1: you have to show me your technique, Kato.
2: It's very, it's very, also, if you're chopping, if you're mincing it anyways, what does it matter? If it's a little smushed, uh, just a little smushed.
1: Well, it matters. <laughs> uh, and I'm not always, I'm not always mincing it. Okay. Uh, sometimes you've got whole cloves going in there. Uh, however, what we have, mm-hmm. because this is, and by the way, I didn't buy this. This is an MK thing, like, but I respect it and I think it does a good job mostly. <laughs> however, now it is a it little, it for- <laughs> it's a rubber tube. Is it this? Basically, yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what is this? So it's a little silicone, like, grippy tube that you put looks like a painful you put, straw you put the clove in <laughs> no it's a garlic peeler thank you <laughs> you put the clove in and then you sort of rub it back and forth this is and a little I'm bit doing. of no but like look Kato, <laughs> the thing is the the garlic just hits better if it's like you're milking a cow to get it out of its paper
2: oh is this loss? You just posted loss. <laughs> <laughs> it's very close.
1: Yeah. Honestly. See, look, look, Kato. Uh, look at that schmuck.
2: I'm Peeling not that, that schmuck. Look at, look I'm at that the, Kato. I'm the I'm the one. Except that instead of a tube, look I just have king. the I just have the side, the flat side of my knife instead of the silicone tube.
1: Anyway, we love the tube. <laughs> But the tube,
2: tube, tube, that knife, (laughs) that knife that she's using in this photo that Patrick just posted, that is the one I would use to remove the thing by very lightly tapping it. I'm mad. I'm mad that this exists.
1: (laughs) So it just sits there in a drawer (laughs) waiting to be summoned to service. and yes Kato to your point does it always work perfectly no (laughs) there are times that the the garlic paper is just too sticky for the uh, for the otherwise trusty garlic paper remover to deal with Uh, but nevertheless it sits there uh, taking up like a prime inventory slot in the sort of the kitchen drawer uh, Tetris that we play Um, and yet there we are I guess the other thing is I love my stand mixer. I use it a fair bit, probably more than I should. And that's the thing where it's like, I got this power to make tons of bread and doughs, etc. cetera. I'm not sure I should have had that power given the <laughs> Delta between the weight I was before the, the stand mixer showed up and my present weight. I feel like I'm not saying the stand mixer caused it, but I am saying the stand mixer was not exactly helping the situation. Um, <laughs> And neither was my upbringing of, like, don't waste food. And so it's Mm. like, oh, no. I baked three loaves of bread in a weekend, and they're all going to go stale by Wednesday. What am I going to do? (laughs) Chomp.
2: You can freeze bread. Freeze it. Not always.
1: Make
2: it into a bread
1: pudding. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Kata, kind of, that's not gonna help the l- believe me, I found lots of ways to repurpose the bread and find new n- find new and novel ways of jamming bread down my gullet like I'm a fucking foie grant. D- <laughs> <laughs> the foie gras goose does not. That was not the problem. Bread pudding, strata, all these all these things, like, made regular appearances. Oh. And the solution is, dude, you just got to stop making so many fucking breads and crusts <laughs> and doughs. And I was like, but that's what I like to eat. And they're like, no, you got to eat less of that stuff. Who's they? Uh, a team of doctors and specialists. <laughs> well that's gonna do it we're done they also told me you need to have a regular sleep schedule and i was like i have to beat inscription again so (laughs) fuck off
2: wait did we hit your bedtime how late did we end up going
1: (laughs) oh no we didn't hit my bedtime but the problem there was i never ate at all during that day uh, and so we finished that stream Ooh, Hold on, I was on the Adderall So it didn't even register until like late Where I was like, shit, I'm real hungry And so I got done with the stream And I was like, oh no, I'm really hungry It was 11 at night The smart thing would have been to go to bed But I was like, I'm just so damn hungry So instead I'm going to eat a little meal But then because I'm old And because my tummy hurts I was like, I'm going to eat a meal at 11 at night But now I have to stay up two and a half hours And just let that baby settle
2: I'm sorry, Rob. I'm sorry we did this to you.
1: Oh boy. Not any discomfort, but it's just like, you know, oh shit, ate a meal. Now I've got energy. Yeah. Now I'm ready to yep. look at inscription ARG notes.
2: Did <laughs> you watch that Maybe video? Some bread. Like an hour long video in there. No, I didn't. I'm gonna watch that soon.
1: Anyway, you're right, you're right, Patrick. We should call it there. We should. Happy holidays. In
0: whatever way you celebrate it. Or don't. It's fine. Take time off, though. Get out of here. Um, We're done. There's no more podcast. There's not. This is the... No, we have to record another one. We can act like this is the last one, but we have to record another one tomorrow.
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, like... I wish I wish we inhabited the moment the people experiencing this podcast and right like, like this we're, we're like done. we hit this we're like yeah like hey like I mean, enjoy your holiday we could just cancel like <laughs> we're adults and we run the place we could just yeah, not do but, it ugh. we could just not do it Kato is your professionalism is it balking at this it is is it a breach of we trust do. it's I, a breach of trust th- this, we, we, gotta...
2: th- we said there was gonna be one we did there's also it's, two, mo- I do it's think two more days Rob there's an Adam editing that's supposed to go out this week okay. I don't know Well, I, guess I don't know well, who actually very pays, well. pays attention <laughs> I will discuss
1: the pod I will discuss the games again
2: <laughs> we, we never talked about the key like we have current things that we can like fucking catch up on <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true. We got stuff we can get mad at. Um, yeah.
2: There'll be stuff to talk Halo about Wars. tomorrow.
1: Thinking I can get caught up on Halo by tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, I think we you be now. Start now. All right. All right, I'll start Halo Wars and let you know how it goes.
2: <laughs> what? Wasn't Halo Wars two? Oh, you meant Is caught up as happen? in caught up on the franchise.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, how could I? You didn't have to crack
2: the seal on Halo 5? No. I started no. Halo 5 and almost immediately was like, huh. I should yep. play Halo 1.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Oh, wait. I forget. We already, we literally, we had Halo 5. I mean, Halo Infinite. Sorry. Yeah. Apologies. That one, that I forget one. which Halo we're on. Halo 5 Guardians, please. I think that's what that one's called. Uh, you can Guardians more were also the name mm. of the short lived Marvel uh, tie in hockey mascots uh, that Stan Lee oversaw for the NHL. Never forget the Guardians project. What I'm sure they'll be uh,
0: reminiscing about the Guardians right after they finish uh, tweeting out those Stanley NFTs from his official account.
1: What?
0: Now, granted, Stanley got involved in a lot of like the Guardian problem. Project, yeah. That's <laughs> that's you know, I mean, yeah. Is it uh gross to see from beyond the grave his official account t- tweeting about NFTs? Yes, but also. Stanley was a man that liked to cash a check.
1: <laughs> and so are the makers of Stalker. Just FYI. People keep messaging me like, hey, have you heard about the Stalker NFTs? this, is, this
2: is, You're burning pod for tomorrow. Come on. Let's we All right, end fine. it, Patrick.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, you can send a uh, future questions to gamingadvice.com with a subject question. Um, we'll do more uh, questions after the new year. Oh, I gotta scroll all the way. Where is even the Just out- command oh,
2: I'm F- sorry. outro command F, F- outro? This.
1: He needs to he need he needs the closer. Yeah. All right, Rob. All right, that's a wrap on 2021 <laughs> for Waypoint Radio. If you want more Waypoint, you can follow us at Waypoint <laughs> on Facebook and YouTube, Waypoint Vice. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Patrick, where can people find you? Oh, over at Patrick Kluppick.
2: Kato at A underscore Cato underscore Appears.
1: Uh, for our Waypoint Plus listeners, uh, keep an eye out early next year for the Matrix Resurrections uh, podcast that we're going to hit up. Uh, you can also, if you haven't checked it out, you can also uh, listen to us discuss the Matrix movies, and of course uh, Alex Navarro and D'Alessena and I recently revisited uh, Miami Vice. The TV show, not the Michael Mann movie. Is it good? Uh, is it, is it good? Did you enjoy Revisit? We, I did. I did, actually. Okay. Uh, I think Alex might have been highest on it uh, mm-hmm. of all of us, which was interesting. But I think we all came to a real appreciation for both... The ways in which it was of its time and the ways in which it was, if not quite ahead of its time, uh, pointing toward things that would descend from it. Uh, So if that all sounds good, or if you just want more Waypoint, you can go to waypointplus.com and subscribe. Also, there is that sale going on. Patrick, hit us with those deets one more time. Those deets are... Hey,
0: everyone! (laughs) We're running a sale on subscriptions to Waypoint Plus you can uh, get 25% off an annual subscription to the end of the year with a coupon code WAYLASTMINUTE. If you're looking for a last-minute gift, give the gift of waypoint. You can choose a day for your subscription to be delivered to the recipient. Don't have to ruin that surprise. Or you can just buy one for yourself. Visit vice.com slash waypoint. Use the code WAYLASTMINUTE. So I think that will run through the end of the, end of the year. Yeah, I don't know the exact through the 31st, that, should so. be.
1: Cotto, right, you can edit that together like Patrick caught that pass uh instead no. of uh, getting mm-hmm. alligator arms <laughs> as it came toward him. Uh wow. just looking at that DB coming across the field. Like, I don't want to catch this. Uh I understand, Patrick. It's a hard job. Like Derek, That's why I you know, gotta do like, it. Our theme music is by and, Henry. The, tra- <laughs> the dragons <laughs> miss you off the EP pale machine. Learn more at slash B-O-E-N. That's us calling time on 2021. We'll talk to you again next year. Until then, fuck capitalism, go home, stay home, stay safe, happy holidays.
0: Hey kid you want to come out here and watch the last 30 minutes of The Amazing Spider-Man This movie fucking sucks Let's go
1: <laughs> So we did Alright Do we want to go to time.is I don't
2: remember sure. that movie
1: It, Dude it's I'm trying to I'm. We're seeing Spider-Man Wait which one from- the,
2: the, the first uh, Andrew
0: Garfield one. Alex I didn't Garfield. watch that Andrew
1: one. That's what Dennis Leary is. Uh, the, he's fine. The, he, yeah. he, he's
0: he's fine. Like, there are a lot of, it's fine elements in the movie. Like, Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield have incredibly good and hot chemistry in that film. And it's just, the movie is terrible. Um, I mean, they they do a whole, like, they, they rip out, like, Peter Parker as, um, like, you know, poor... Or, like, lower middle class, like, humble accident stumbling into greatness into, like, they give a whole mythology to his parents and, like, there's, like, a whole, like, destined to be
1: Spider-Man vibe. Oh, this is, yeah, I remember the most Poison Pen review I read of that was actually basically, like, taking down the screenwriter's entire career as, like, immoral, like, Scientologist bullshit underlying, like, the, like, every, he was, like, if you look at their body of work, like, their take on Spider-Man is consistent with the moral universe of all the stories they tell. Oh no. Uh, Which is that greatness always has to be like predestined from somewhere. Um, Uh Yeah. So like, it was just brutal. Um, Uh It was a great review. Um, Yeah. And that first Sam Raimi, Spider-Man holds up.
0: I mean, it's hokey as shit, but like, I think the hokey melodrama is like, we actually gives it a timelessness, even if it, feels hokier with time.
1: Yeah, I went back, you know, I went back and I watched um the first Christopher Reeve uh Superman. Superman. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking, like okay, there are parts that are like hella hokey in that. Yeah, like yeah. for instance, when the Hoover Dam explodes in that they just have a deeply unconvincing train set quality <laughs> model of the American West getting flooded by the Hoover Re- Hoover Dam reservoir. Uh, that sure looks like somebody's just just throwing a bucket of water uh, across across this uh, little model. But Hokey's um, authentic, right?
0: Like that's the thing. Like Hokey, what feels Hokey now, like felt like actually authentic at the time because it's like a well reflect- no this does no, not
1: like no? if you watch if you watch movies that are doing like practical effects work and like working with miniatures in that era spider-man you're almost like they made a choice to make <laughs> this look this way like it's it's so clearly twice. I guess I mean I guess I mean the, the melodrama not not
0: yeah. so much like the, the effects like I like Superman is like a very like just the acting like it's, like it's very melodramatic but like it feels reflective of the time so I think like it ends up holding up like better over time. Like well, you just feel displaced th- from it. Which it you understand- watch Raimi and like the su- Spider-Man, it's like, gosh, this is dude, feels odd as hell. But like, it feels like authentic and like, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird thing.
1: They're also just very, um, that first Christopher Reeve movie. The other thing I'll say is movies from that, they're willing to have fun with it in a way. Superhero movies just don't now. Yeah. Like yes. there is a conversation in that movie between lois and superman on her rooftop that is so flirtatious and cute and horny as hell uh but in like sort of a witty way uh it's terrific um and it's like you just wouldn't get a scene like that you wouldn't even have a lot you wouldn't even allow like a 11 minute scene of two characters flirting uh no. and nothing else really happening
2: I don't think I've seen
1: i don't think i've seen any of those movies I think they're all on HBO right now. They're it's it's worth revisiting. I think it add this it has a holiday terms. list. Uh, all right, yeah. we, all shall right. We, should we clap? Yeah, uh, shall we go on twelve? Oh no, I don't have it. Shit. Shall we go? <laughs> hold on, I it up <laughs> as I was closing my tabs. Wow. I closed it. All right, go ahead. All right, twenty. Galactic wait. Tick Day. Sorry, Galact- what's today? Galactic Tick
2: Day?
0: I don't like that. A celebration of progress around the Milky Way. Oh, that's disappointing. What? It's like a
1: space thing.
2: It celebrates the movement of the solar system around the Milky Way.
1: You know, in olden times, they'd build a fucking henge for something like this.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Regular interval of 1.7361 years.
1: I'm sorry, if you truly celebrate this day... You're going to build a stepped pyramid toward the heavens from which we can observe the cosmos.
2: The interval is derived from one centi-arc second of a galactic year, which is the solar system's roughly two point, two, 225 million year round trip around the galactic center.
1: It's slow, <laughs> <laughs> but also Damn.
0: fast. Damn, it, slow. All right. All right, let's start.